tossing and turning all night like a salad, it's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus. A probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker, and I thought, if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate, so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. I desperately wanted to learn how to become a take it or leave it drinker. I thought that if I took a 90 day break, then I would be able to reset my tolerance and break the bad habit and I'd finally be able to drink like everyone else. I truly believed that I would be able to achieve this since my drinking wasn't that bad and I didn't have any major consequences like a DUI or losing my job. And you have to have big consequences to need to quit forever, right? Keeping the hope 
of moderating someday alive was what kept me stuck in the cycle. I was always focused on the end goal of moderating someday. So even when I took breaks, I couldn't really enjoy the benefits of sobriety. If you're stuck believing that it'll be different this time, then I will recommend a bunch of episodes in the show notes to check out. But I want to cover three reasons in this episode why it won't be any different this time. So let's dig in. Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. I'm your host, Jill, and today we are talking about one of my favorite topics, moderation. So when we're thinking about whether we can control our drinking eventually and learn how to moderate, the first thing that we have to keep in mind is neuroplasticity. So neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to adapt to our current circumstances, create new pathways, and abandon unused pathways. Our experiences, thoughts, emotions, and behaviors all influence the way that our brain works, and they strengthen or weaken pathways based on what we do. Alcohol releases a huge amount of dopamine, which causes the brain to form memories that alcohol is good for us. We build these powerful associations between experiences and feelings and drinking alcohol. And since there's a ton of dopamine, much more than anything else that you can experience naturally, the brain believes that drinking must be very important for you. So every time you're cued, the brain is going to prompt you to seek out alcohol in the form of a craving. A 2016 study found that people who used active coping skills had more plasticity in the brain, and having less plasticity was associated with negative coping strategies like emotional eating, binge drinking, and more arguments or fights. And remember, plasticity is your brain's ability to adapt and change. So the more positive coping skills you use, the more adaptable your brain becomes. Childhood trauma, adversity, a history of mood disorders, and PTSD are all associated with weakened prefrontal cortex activation during emotion or stress exposure and with less plasticity. And another study found that this can predict relapse in people that are trying to stay sober. Our prefrontal cortex is the thinking part of the brain. It helps us make decisions and control our impulses. So if it's not being activated as well as it normally would, we're not able to recruit the part of the brain that helps us make a good decision and control our impulses. So when we're triggered, it's easy to go with the instant gratification immediate response, which would be drinking. If you listened to episode 99, then you learned how the pathways that alcohol carves into the brain never fully go away, and they can be reactivated by drinking again. When we drink, we reinforce why alcohol is required for celebrating, having fun, coping, and unwinding. And just because you take time off drinking doesn't mean that these pathways go away. They can be reactivated by drinking again. The AA saying, you can't turn a pickle back into a cucumber, is very true here. Once your brain has developed these pathways, they don't go away. 
It doesn't mean that we suffer with cravings forever. It just means that the pathways go dormant, but they don't disappear. When I took 90 days off and drank again, I was able to moderate for two months for the first time in my life. I had two drinks on Saturday night, stopped because I wanted to stop, and then I wouldn't drink for the other six days of the week. And this was after being a daily drinker. I was living my dream life. I had figured it out. But I was also isolating and intentionally not socializing with others because I knew I couldn't trust myself. I had to protect my drinking over everything else. And then we went on a cruise and I decided that I was going to be a special occasion drinker. Have you ever wanted to be a special occasion drinker? I thought that I will just drink the way that I want to and then go back to moderating when I get home. But drinking the way I want to should have been a sign. But on the cruise, I reactivated the pathways, and by the time I got home a week later, I was back to daily compulsive drinking with no off switch. If you take a long time off, you may be able to moderate for a bit, but we will always relax back into drinking the way that we want to. And my goal in life wasn't to be a special occasion drinker. I wanted to drink every week. I just couldn't figure out how to do that. So my last desperate attempt to keep alcohol in my life was to be a special occasion drinker. But that's not what I actually wanted. And if you're trying to be a special occasion drinker, you probably don't actually want that either. You're just settling for that because you're desperate to keep alcohol around. The second thing that we have to keep in mind when we're thinking about if we can moderate someday is the obsession. Attentional bias is one of my favorite things to talk about. It's the tendency of our brains to pay attention to something and ignore other things. And I see it as the obsession. Our brains get stuck on alcohol and alcohol cues and we can't stop thinking about it. Studies have even found that heavy drinking changes the brain to make us even more sensitive to alcohol cues so they have an easier time of grabbing our attention. And the more a cue is able to grab your attention and hold on to it, the more you're going to feel triggered and the more you're going to crave alcohol. A 2014 study published in The Psychology of Addictive Behaviors looked at differences in attentional bias between heavy and moderate drinkers. The moderate drinkers had no change in how much attention they gave alcohol whether it was before, during, or after drinking. But the heavy drinkers paid a lot more attention to alcohol before the drinking started, as measured by their eye movements and how much they looked at alcohol or alcohol cues. And their attentional bias decreased as they drank more alcohol. Take it or leave it drinkers don't care either way, as you can see by how much attention they gave alcohol. Problem drinkers, though, We drink to relieve cravings, and as we get that relief, the obsession and urgency that we feel begins to decrease. I didn't understand this while I was drinking, but it's not normal to think about alcohol all the time. This is not what life is supposed to be like. And you may not even realize how much alcohol dominates your thoughts. When you get sober, you get to be free of all of these thoughts. No more justifying why it's okay to drink, minimizing the consequences, feeling ashamed of yourself, beating yourself up for drinking when you said you wouldn't, 
or spending a ton of time thinking about your drinking. That is freedom. And in my opinion, spending any time thinking about your drinking is a sign. Take it or leave it, drinkers do not care. They don't spend time thinking about whether it's okay to drink or not, if it's been long enough, or what their plan is for making sure they don't have too much. They drink or they don't, and that's it. And if you obsess over alcohol, you can't get to a point where you don't think about it anymore because the obsession is not our choice. The third thing that we have to keep in mind when thinking about moderation is the way that we drink. We persist pretty hardcore through negative consequences. If you listen to episode 155 about my career journey, then I made a joke at the end. I said, I am the cockroach of sobriety and I'll never stop showing up. And if you want to be successful, my advice to you is to be the cockroach of whatever your industry is and just don't quit no matter what. I learned this skill though because I was also the cockroach of drinking alcohol. I would drink no matter what, whether I had the flu, if I just humiliated myself the night before, and even if I told my husband I was going to not drink, I would still drink. I always found a way to persist. If you're a cockroach of drinking alcohol, then you can't moderate your drinking. You are too hardcore. For people who can naturally control their drinking, the amount of pleasure or good vibes or fun times or whatever that they expect to experience is lessened by anticipating negative outcomes like hangovers, embarrassing themselves, or needing to drive. They are able to check themselves. For some of us, though, even very significant negative consequences like health scares, trouble in our relationships, or DUIs do not deter us from wanting to drink. We brush these off as not having any consequences. But even if they aren't the worst consequences ever, they're pretty significant. And if you are listening to this, if you're contemplating quitting drinking, then you probably had some significant consequences. I think that I said, it's not like I have any consequences every single day while I was drinking. But missed work, humiliation, alcohol-fueled fights, low self-esteem, staying up all night with anxiety and hating myself and poor health are all consequences. Just because it's not a DUI or a lost job or like literally the worst thing ever doesn't mean it's not a consequence. So a part of the front of the brain called the orbitofrontal cortex is involved in our positive perceptions about alcohol, like how we believe alcohol helps our anxiety, makes us have fun, and helps us socialize. When we drink, endorphins are released in this area, and that's why we feel pleasure. Studies have found that this area of the brain becomes activated when we drink or when we're cued to drink. And the amount of activation in this area corresponds to the intensity of cravings that the drinker will experience. The part of the brain that attempts to maintain the balance by reminding us of the hangovers or the potential embarrassment is called the periaqueductal gray or just the PAG. So these two areas of the brain are supposed to check each other and balance each other out so that we can make a good decision about what we want to do. A 2019 study published in Science 
found that when mice were given the same opportunity to drink, they would naturally split into different categories, light, heavy, and compulsive binge drinkers. And compulsive binge drinkers were defined as drinking despite negative consequences. So they started by training these mice to associate a sound with sugar being delivered to the enclosure. Then they replaced the sugar with alcohol and later added a bitter flavor to the alcohol, which was supposed to represent negative consequences. So the mice either had no access to alcohol or unlimited access for two to four hours. And by the end of the experiment, the mice were divided into groups based on their drinking. The low drinkers didn't drink very much. The high drinkers drank a lot initially, but then when the consequences started showing up, they backed off a lot. And the compulsive drinkers drank a lot and they were not put off by any consequences. And they even tried the same experiment using mild shocks to their little feet as a punishment instead of bitter flavoring, and they saw the exact same results. One group just kept drinking regardless. The PAG is a tube-like structure at the bottom of the brainstem, and it's well known for its role in inhibiting pain, and it also regulates a lot of normal body responses like your heart rate and your blood pressure, breathing, things like that. But it's involved too in fearful and defensive responses. So the PAG gets activated when a threat is coming towards you. It helps us sense danger and feel an urgency to escape. There are neurons that connect the prefrontal cortex with the PAG to help us process negative experiences. And this group of neurons is what the study focused on. At the beginning of the experiment, even though all the mice had the same exposure to alcohol, they had different activity in this group of neurons. And the activity that the researchers saw during the first few licks of alcohol predicted whether the mice would go on to become compulsive drinkers. So drinking despite all negative consequences. The mice that went on to become compulsive drinkers had more inhibitory signals than excitatory ones in this group of neurons. So remember, this group of neurons connects the part of our brain that makes decisions and inhibits impulses with the part of the brain that alerts us to danger and tells us if we need to escape. If the neurons connecting these parts of the brain have more inhibitory signals, then this could mean that it's reducing any alert signal that the PAG is trying to send to the prefrontal cortex. So it's basically minimizing the alert and making the mice less sensitive to punishment. They know that they're getting a shock every single time, but their brain is kind of telling them that it's not a big deal. And on the other hand, mice that had more excitatory signals in these neurons would perceive bitter taste and shocks as a huge deal and they would back off. So remember, there was a group of heavy drinking mice that backed off significantly once consequences were introduced. So they were able to self-regulate, but compulsive drinkers are not. We keep thinking we're going to get the same result despite any negative consequence. And if your brain works that way, that's not really something that you have control over. You can't change the way that your brain communicates with itself and the way that it's connected. Neuroplasticity can 
allow some of your brain to adapt and change, but some things it's just the way that you are. You get what you get. And if your brain is set up in a way that makes you much more likely to become a compulsive drinker, then it's unlikely you will ever moderate your drinking. So I want you to ask yourself, why do you drink? Maybe you think that you're drinking to socialize or have fun, but really ask yourself why. Are you actually having fun when you drink the whole time? Probably not. If it was so great, you wouldn't be considering not doing it anymore. So there's usually a lot more behind the fun or the socializing. And if we get honest with ourselves, then we can start to see why our drinking is different. I couldn't fully understand why I was drinking. It was just something that I did every day, something that I needed. And now I realize we shouldn't feel like we need alcohol. It shouldn't be a need. It's really important to let the hope of moderating someday go. Otherwise, you won't be able to be free. It takes a lot of time to get to this point. It took me five years, but keep collecting data on your drinking and analyzing your past experiences. The goal is for you to quit drinking and feel at peace with the decision. It doesn't mean that you have to like it, but it means that you accept it. I have a course called The Sober Mindset, which helps walk you through why you drink and how to let it go. So if you're interested in that, you can get more information in the show notes. You are never alone. And remember, moderation sucks. I can't even say it with a straight face anymore. And I will talk to you next week. It's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.